so the challenge is that a lot of times as people as founders a lot of us have a lot of hang ups about money and value so we undervalue ourselves we don't like to talk about money we are scared to talk about money to our customers because we feel the customer will say no or the customer may say your product doesn't have that much value so we don't want to charge too high and uh, many of the folks from outside the us we have a lot of ego attached to the money that we charge as well so we we're, we're like afraid to think about the value we are delivering and so if i uh, when i tell people look the software that you're building and this is a real conversation uh, and my statement to them was look the product that you're building is delivering a few million dollars of value to a single customer you have to be comfortable going and asking for a million dollars of that value because without your product they would not generate that value hi everyone and welcome to the value sas podcast the show where we talk to people from around the b2b sas world about their experience building capital efficient businesses in this episode i spoke to prasanna krishnamurthy managing partner at opeka about the ins and outs of pricing a topic which i don't think is discussed enough in sas circles Too often, founders will price their products based on a set of highly unscientific and imprecise factors. Unsurprisingly, this is the wrong way of going about things. It usually results in a pricing model that really pleases no one. It doesn't please customers and it doesn't please founders either. But Prasanna has a way out. He contends that all pricing discussions should start with one simple question: How much value am I producing? If founders are able to answer that question, then coming up with a pricing model that gives founders fair compensation while keeping customers happy is relatively easy. Of course, the process of answering that question is a little bit tricky. So that's where we focus most of our conversation. We talk about what founders can do to figure out how much value they are delivering to customers and then use that to come up with a pricing model that actually works. Anyways, that's enough from me. Here's the interview. Price. Actually, maybe a good place to start is I had a very fascinating interview with Tejas the other day from Social Pilot. I had a fascinating conversation with him about the relationship between churn pricing and product. Could you maybe to start us off give me like a sure. sense of what that relationship looks like? So I think uh, for me uh, what really where 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 all the pricing stuff really starts uh, is about just the worth of what you're building what i mean by that is how do you know that you're doing something that's worth anything now when you start thinking about it that way then an objective way that we can all decide that we're doing something worthwhile is that if somebody unrelated to me pays for it then i know that is worth something so to me it really starts there and from a b2b perspective what you're saying is hey you mr buyer or miss buyer for you to get value in your business and it's a business right so because everybody is making plans you have quarterly plans quarterly budgets quarterly targets all of that stuff so you have a running business and for you to get something that adds value to your business you are ready to pay a certain amount the moment you know you start thinking about it this way then automatically lots of stuff falls into place so obviously let's say you as a business are not making a lot of money you are not very profitable yourself you are not growing how much money you have if that's just your situation then you cannot afford to pay me a lot so when you look at it that way who do you have to sell to you have to sell to somebody who has a big enough problem 
that they're ready to pay enough to solve. And they should have that problem very frequently. And it should be something that they really want to solve today. Only then you can charge enough. Now the beauty of B2B software is you can build software which is like a tax prep software, which is used only once a year or maybe once a quarter. Or you can build a API SaaS product, which is like sending SMSs and uh, sending phone calls, which is used literally a hundred times a second. And somewhere the value of these two things are all in the same kind of a pricing chart. And founders very often think that I can price these things the same. I literally know a founder, I, I was talking to a founder a couple of weeks ago, where in the past they worked on this kind of a product where it's a, almost like an API, it's consumption based, it's very, very micro. Each uh, line item is a very micro line item, few cents per transaction kind of thing. Today, they're actually selling a product which is not like that. But the pricing they've adopted is like that. So when you think about the value delivery, in a tax prep, you're delivering value once a year. In an API for SMS, you're delivering value a thousand times a second. Or let's say email delivery, you're delivering value uh, a thousand times a second, thousand, thousands of times a day. A website product with uh, 10,000 visitors a day. You're delivering value every second almost. Can you price these the same way? And the answer is like, you can't because the buyer is looking for very different things. If you sh show the same kind of pricing, let's say, you know, you're sending emails and you're pricing by email and you have a website product and you're pricing by visitor, that's not going to work. Same way, let's say I'm selling something to the enterprise finance department, something that's used by the finance team and the board. When they adopt a product, they're going to be using it for years and years. Versus an email newsletter tool, somebody might use it this month, next month and switch to a something else the month after that. Can these be priced the same way? They can't be priced the same way. So when you think about all of these things, the question that you asked is, how is pricing, churn, retention, product, all of these, how are they related? It all comes back to, I can't charge you more and the value of the problem that I'm solving for you. And I can only charge you on a frequency that matches how often you use the product. I can't keep charging you unless you keep using the product. And the mistake that most founders make is that they build a product for a low frequency use case. It's not used very often. They build a product or they solve a problem which doesn't last too long. So this is an ephemeral problem. You got the problem, you solved it, you're gone. You're not using the product anymore. They're not solving a large problem for that person. And they're not solving an urgent problem for the person. I can't live if this problem is not solved or this problem is like in front of my head all the time. So I have to solve this. Once you pick the problem that is very frequent, that is recurring, that is high value and urgent. And then think about pricing from the buyer's perspective. Are you selling to an owner who writes the check, but probably check sizes are small? Are you selling to a VP in a enterprise company who controls a budget of $100 million? 
or are you selling to a finance team in a large org which thinks about the costs and profits and loss 5 years ago and they project 3 years into the future and they want things that can last for decades now when you think about all these aspects of the problem that you set out to solve and then think about how the value is created for that if you solve the problem then think about the person who can pay for it and what they can afford to pay that then this thinking about all of these things put together then should create a pricing model which your customers will love what i think is interesting about what you just said is that is that you usually think of the market dynamics being such that you know you create a product you take it to market and then customers come to you and whoever comes to you 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 can you can sell the product to them it's the customer choosing the product but in this dynamic it's almost like you as a founder are choosing your customer which is a very interesting flip on the on the on the dynamic that people generally think is is at play but i like this whole framework that you have going of having these three the the three factors that i noted down are does the customer have money does the problem happen frequently enough for them to want to solve and does the problem have a sense of urgency about it that they need to solve it so while you were talking i was trying to think of edge cases that could potentially break this framework but it's very extensible for example i was thinking of a, of a tax prep software or something that helps a company stay in in compliance with a specific law that they might only have to use once a year this would fit in this framework because even though it's not used particularly frequently on a yearly basis that's sort of offset by a sense of urge, an extra sort of urgency that they have to okay. solve this problem and okay. presumably if they have to stay in compliance with something they also have the money because it's usually larger organizations which have to do this there's a fantastic uh, tweet i saw which basically said uh, the last line of it says if your prospects website has investor relationships or investor relations as a link or a page then the minimum you should be charging them is uh, $250,000 because if they have investor relations they're either public or they're going to go public which means that they're a billion dollar organization which means that they can afford to pay you $250,000 for whatever that's an interesting heuristic to figure out the first factor that we have over here do they have money i'd be curious are they how do you go about this customer discovery process are there a fixed set of heuristics that you know any founder can take out of the box and apply to f- find their answers to all of these three questions or is it just good old fashion go talk to your customers see what comes yeah up? i think there are no heuristics right because um, the interesting thing that happens from a product evolution perspective and a technology evolution perspective is that uh, there is a cycle of some things being very expensive and then those same things becoming extremely inexpensive and then there are things built on top of those things which become very expensive and this cycle continues ad nauseum right uh, at the same time the same thing that's very cheap from a commodity perspective on a horizontal perspective when you verticalize the same thing it becomes potentially quite expensive right? so now where in the cycle is that particular technology is what you are building where is your customer in this particular cycle 
is something that you can't guess at. You have to figure out because you want to be right at it. Uh, there's a lot of value in being right at this. And customers are actually uh, all too happy to tell you for the most part because in, in many cases for the right problems, your customers are actually desperately looking for a solution for that. And when customers are desperately looking for the solution, they are ready to pay substantially above market to solve that problem. So is it easy to find? In reality, what you have to do is just go talk to enough of the same kind of people and ask them, like, what are you ready to pay money to solve? What are you ready to pay? So if you're talking to enough VPs and you ask them, what are you ready to pay $250,000 to solve? They're going to tell you because actually they have a list and they are saying next quarter, I have a budget of few million dollars to solve these four problems. That is the reality in the enterprise, right? Now, can you find these a, um, a lot earlier than the market is looking for it? That then leads to a lot of risk and figuring out who the early adopters are and stuff like that. But for the most part, you can actually build a large business by serving the needs of enterprises where they tell you, please like solve this for me. But you have to be willing to listen. Right. And I also see another relationship sort of making itself clear over here, which is one between pricing and positioning, because Correct. it almost seems like how you position yourself, this exact same product, depending on how you position it, whether it's oriented towards this problem or that problem, whether it's oriented towards this vertical or that vertical or not of any particular vertical in particular is going to help you justify your price differently. Correct. And just talking about social pilot, uh, since that might, they just might have already spoken about it. When social pilot was targeted at freelancers uh, in, let's say, developing economies. Now, these freelancers are charging small business owners a few tens of dollars to manage their social media sites, maybe a few hundreds of dollars. Then they're not going to spend more than a few tens of dollars on a product. Versus you sell to an agency in LA, which is managing the social media account of a direct to consumer brand, which is doing $20 million in revenue. Then the scale of the problem is completely different. Is the product itself a very, very different? Probably not. Uh, would you have to do some things differently? Probably yes. Maybe there's an approval process that the DTC brand wants, which the freelancer doesn't. Is that like dramatically different from a product perspective? It's not. You raised an interesting point when you were talking about social pilot. The question of does my customer have money often boils down to what geography does my customer fall into? Now, I find that that question is hard to figure out for a lot of founders because obviously a lot of founders, especially founders based out of India, they are often selling to people who live on the other side of the world from them. And when you're selling to someone who's on the other side of the world from you, there are a lot of cultural differences. And those cultural differences might lead to a situation where you don't even know to ask certain questions. Like if you are used to people not wanting to pay much for a product, 
and having low budgets and that is all you have ever known when dealing with other businesses then you don't really know to ask what the other person's budget is if you're talking to an agency in LA for example who will have a much higher spending power how do you overcome that hurdle to understanding who your customer is better and then retrofitting your pricing yeah. or your product or your processes to that so yeah. so so i think the cultural aspects are very difficult to overcome um there's no there's no easy way to do that i think you know uh, pre covid at least we could visit the place and understand that look if i'm walking into a uh, starbucks in la i'm i'm going to be paying like 7 to 10 dollars for a cup of coffee and people are probably paying uh, much higher than that as well right uh, and there's no getting around uh, the difficulty of getting over that cultural thing right but the beauty of it is uh, from a b2b context if you speak to enough people and if you do enough things to research a particular space lots of this information is there out online so typically if you go to a uh, the salesperson of any company and let's say it's an enterprise and you look at the sales uh, 10 20 sales people's linkedin profiles right you'll realize that they in their linkedin profiles they actually write stuff like uh, grew uh, revenue from 3 million a quarter to 5 million a quarter and stuff like that right uh, so you can actually <laughs> learn a lot about uh, different businesses by uh, uh, just looking for this kind of information and why is the sales person putting it that way because they are selling themselves right they're like i i grew this business from x to y so you should hire me if you want to grow your business too and so on right but this information is it same way from a lot of uh, people if you ask them the right questions and you build a trust and you have bit trust and you're able to ask them these questions they will tell you because look these people are running businesses they don't have time they have problems they want somebody to solve that problem if they feel that you have the credibility to solve that problem they will say please solve my problem take my money because by giving you money and having you solve my problem i am going to make more money so they will tell you now if you don't have that cultural perspective so you may have to do 200 to 300 conversations with a specific target segment to understand how important the problem is how valuable that problem is and so on and so lots of times founders start with selling to individual contributors and then figuring out hey this person has time to speak to me spoke to me said they have this kind of a problem this problem if i estimate it has this much value to them and then you start bouncing that off of them and they'll actually you know many of those people will tell you sure i'll pay 10 dollars for this i won't pay 50 dollars for this or i can pay 200 dollars for this but i'm not going to pay 500 dollars for this they will tell you that it's uh, not that difficult if you are speaking to somebody and they can't quantify the value of the problem and they don't tell you look i, I would pay 100 dollars this for this today you are anyway going to be in a very difficult market to uh, start with because the problem that you're solving might be something that requires a lot of education and so on and so forth where it may be that Uh, it is not possible for you to sell that easily right now founders get mixed up between all of these things and end up 
solving problems which require a lot of education without having the context of how much it will cost to do that education for customers without having a context of how many people have that problem and how urgent it is and then price it like a commodity so they price it very low while needing to have to spend a lot to educate the customer to buy it and you can account for that in cac or you can account for that in onboarding or wherever it is but if your pricing doesn't bear that then you cannot afford to educate the customers versus smart founders once you figure this out they will you can still sell that kind of product which requires a lot of education but you better be able to spend a lot of money doing webinars doing whatever it is takes to educate the customer to then buy at a high price uh but coming back to your question uh the cultural stuff is very hard you can't overcome that easily somebody who has a culture may be able to figure this out in 50 conversations or 100 conversations if you don't have the cultural context you're probably have going to have to do 200 conversations or 300 conversations till uh things fall into place so it's just a good old fashioned grind it's going to be hard but you kind of just have the conversations yeah. correct so i remember uh you know uh, one of my mentors uh, shekhar kirani is speaking about uh, a founder that he knew who was building software for dentists and he used to go into the dentist practice in the us in florida and observe what they do and he used to basically find out that at some point the dentist is like looking into your mouth and seeing that you came in for the checkup for your right lower back third back tooth or whatever but the left lower back tooth also probably needs to be taken care of now i'm a dentist i have both hands in gloves and i'm wearing a mask and i have like whatever implements in my hand I, and you have your mouth open i need to record this on my computer right do i have hands to do it i may not even have hands to do it because i i may not be able to keep these things down to go and type or if i type i don't want my gloves to get sanit unsanitary etc right so you observe that problem and you say look at that point in that situation the doctor needs to be able to press one key to record this how can i do that right so you're you're like really deeply observing what the problem is and then you're setting it up in such a way that it's trivial for them but most people don't do this it almost feels like the way people should actually go about funding a saas business is go out there learn about a target customer that they want to work with maybe that they know has money figure out what problem they face frequently that's urgent and then start thinking about building a product Absolutely. around that problem the most common thing actually is that somebody worked for 15 years in an industry or 20 years in an industry uh, decided that that industry needed some better tools came out uh, they knew what tool they needed to build for their own industry they got somebody and uh, started building it started selling it to their old friends made a ton of money uh, and they didn't take any venture capital they didn't do anything big they're making money all their uh, customers love them they they're already in that community they're already in that network guess what no media outlet will write the story because it's boring it's not news what's news is when a 22 year old who has no clue about anything almost killed his startup seven times before figuring out a way how to make money selling to whatever millennials or enterprises or people in suits or whatever right that's a story you that is more uh, clickbaity but in reality the highest probability of success for founders is when they start a startup at the age of 45 yeah actually a couple of years back i went for a conference on search marketing in new york and we met this company that helps 
search marketers, specifically people who are focused on SEO or do keyword research. We were talking to their event marketing associate and they were they had the whole spiel ready about how the company was founded and everything. And they were telling us, I mean, if you looked past all of the corporate veneer that they put on it, essentially what happened was the people who founded this company worked for an extremely large agency. Yeah. They built a tool internally to solve this problem that they were facing. And then they realized, hey, this is a really good tool. We could sell it to other people, spun it off into a different company and sold back to their original employers. That's how most SaaS uh, businesses are actually built. Okay, so I think we're reaching the end of our end of our time slot, and we've covered a lot of good stuff. One thing that I did want to cover before um, before we leave is: can you help any founders out there who have never been to the states, who might have to still go through this process of asking two hundred, three hundred questions, a sense who are selling to the states, a sense of like what the buying power over there is like or over here is like rather because i i think it's hard for people to wrap their head heads around it and honestly i live here and i still go back home and visit my my family often and even for me it's extremely hard for me to wrap my head around because i sort of make an automatic switch when i go back to india when i come back here where i suddenly start spending a lot more without even realizing it because society around you is just structured in such a way that it makes it easy for you to spend so uh there are different levels here so let's say you're just selling to an owner of an smb a typical smb in the us probably anywhere between 100 very small business in the us is probably doing between $50000 to million dollars of revenue every year uh, this person probably spends uh, you know 10 dollars on coffee every day during weekdays, uh, they probably, you know, pay themselves somewhere in the $50,000 to $200,000 a year. Uh, and they are keenly aware of the value of their time. And they probably peg it at anywhere between $25 to $100 per hour. So if you're saving them an hour a month, and they trade that saving of an hour for $25 to find $100, per month, they will consider that a very good trade in the most part. Because most of the small businesses in the US are constrained for growth by actually time of the people who are working there. Growth is possible, but I don't have time is a very common uh, phenomenon in small business in the US. So if you're selling to a small business owner, anything south of $500 uh, is not going to make them think a lot because they probably spend in the few hundreds to few thousands of dollars uh, a month on miscellaneous stuff, petty cash, essentially. Now, the same person is probably probably has an office assistant who they're paying uh, $3,000 a month in, uh, you know, outside of metros. And in a major city, they might be paying an office assistant, uh, $4,000 a month. So a few hundred dollars a month for an owner of a small business doing uh, up to a million, couple of million dollars a year in revenue is not a lot. 
on the other end of the spectrum let's say you're selling to a director in a large company who basically has 25 people reporting to them or 50 people reporting to them uh the median wage in the us is 91000 so somebody who has 50 people reporting to them has a budget of about 5 million dollars for people alone and overheads in the us are like 2x so the their budget is probably in the 10 million to 25 million dollars and let's say your software is really very valuable for them and it can save one person's time a year so it can actually help an entire person become free because of using your software they will pay 200000 a year for that software because they can use that headcount in another area within their division to do something that will increase their revenue for example so let's say this director is probably getting paid a half a million dollars a year to a million dollars a year and if they increase their revenues and hit their targets they're probably looking at a bonus of a quarter million dollars or a half million dollars so they will have a budget which is 20 million dollars and they're going to be ready to pay 200,000 dollars on something that can get their team and themselves a bonus and a promotion right so most of the things that Uh, most of the software that's being built today is probably going to be so- sold either to this owner of an SMB or to this director of a large enterprise or somewhere in between so you can sell it for $25 a month $100 a month to a small business owner they're not even going to think about it or you can sell it for $250,000 to a director who's probably going to spend a few hours thinking about it Oh, that's mind-boggling to think about. <laughs> that's crazy. But thanks for talking to me, Prasanna. This was a fascinating conversation. I think we got a lot of valuable stuff out of it. Uh, and it's on a topic that I think most people don't even think about at all: pricing. Because I feel sometimes when I look at pricing of SaaS products, it's all standard, like one forty-nine, ninety-nine, forty-nine. It's like people are people aren't even thinking about this. They're like, "Oh, that's just what SaaS products are priced." So I'm gonna price it that way as well. So if you want a more social angle to it, the challenge is that. So the challenge is that a lot of times, as people, as founders, a lot of us have a lot of hangups about money and value. So we undervalue ourselves. We don't like to talk about money we are scared to talk about money to our customers because we feel the customer will say no or the customer may say your product doesn't have that much value so we don't want to charge too high and uh, many of the folks from outside the us we have a lot of ego attached to the money that we charge as well so we we are we are like afraid to think about the value we are delivering and so if i Uh, when i tell people look the software that you're building and th- this is a real conversation uh, and my statement to them was look the product that you're building is delivering a few million dollars of value to a single customer you have to be comfortable going and asking for a million dollars of that value because without your product they would not generate that value but 
we are afraid that i will ask you and you will say no it doesn't have that much value and then that becomes an attack on my value not my product's value because we are too attached to all of these look the same so the attachment of personal worth the product that you're building the worth of the product becomes very uh mixed versus where is the value the real value is if i sell it to you what problem am i solving in your life how much is that problem worth that is requires a lot of empathy for me to put myself in your shoes and say look if you solve this problem you're going to make so much money i need to put myself in your shoes and that's not easy to do right and so we get stuck in this thing of i think this is worth so much when it should be like hey what is it worth to you but a very scary question you might say nothing and then like i'll be very deeply hurt i've been there honestly i i've been there it's it's hard it's a, it's it's hard to ask for money it's hard to often give yourself credit for yeah yeah, yeah. built so i i i dissociate myself when i want to ask for money i say you know only if i get an objective read of the value that i'm adding and i'm able to objectively arrive at a price that then tells me what value i'm adding and i want to add a lot of value so there is no objective value and a price then maybe i'm not ad- adding enough value and that's good for me to find out because then i can do more work that adds more value well folks that's the end of the episode thanks for listening and if you haven't already done so please subscribe and rate the podcast on your preferred podcasting app and of course join us in a couple of weeks for the next episode have a good one